Good morning. It's so good to see you. We had a wonderful vacation. I absolutely loved it. I want to express my gratitude for being able to go. Thank you. Thanks for Pastor Tim and all of you just making that chance to get away for two weeks possible. We don't go sightseeing. We don't really, once we get to where we're going, we don't do anything for two weeks. I'm sure what I find so exhilarating would be very boring to most of you, but uh, basically, you know, a typical day, I get up in the morning with Shelly, and uh, we have our devotions, and she goes off then to look for sea glass, and I do some laps in the ocean, and I come back, and I do some crunches and push-ups and calisthenics while I watch the news. And then I lay out breakfast, and uh, I do some odds and ends, and then she'll text me and say, uh, I'm leaving Starbucks right now. And then I start cooking, and every morning when she comes in, I have breakfast ready, and we sit on a, a balcony where we just look at the ocean and we have breakfast together and then we make a lunch and we got all our stuff in the trunk and we drive five minutes to our favorite sandy beach where we snorkel and read, snorkel and read, snorkel and read. And then we come home and we read some more. And then we take showers and we play games. And then we go and we read some more. We prepare dinner and then we go and we barbecue it and we watch the sunset into the ocean. And then we take dinner up and we sit and we look at the ocean some more while we eat dinner. And then we do it again every day. So toward the end, you know, I was, I was looking forward to coming home. And yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a battle. I go, well, maybe just one more day and then another. But, you know, there's real life and there's vacation life. And vacation life is otherworldly. As refreshing as it is and was physically, I mean, hey, I lost six pounds. That's a 12-pound swing because normally when I go on vacation, I come back heavier. Shelly's got me on this wonderful new diet. But it was like being at a spa, but it wasn't the real world. And I just want to tap into something I, I perceived kind of happening as much as I enjoyed each day. Incrementally each day, I felt a little bit more parched spiritually. It wasn't that I wasn't having my devotions. It wasn't what I, that I wasn't praying. It wasn't that I wasn't praising God for his beautiful creation in every sunset, in every blossom, in every lap of the wave, in every bird and sailboat that went by. But the Christian life is all about integrity. It's about matching this wonderful story of God with your life in every way. And I just found increasingly that, yeah, it would be good to go home because that's where my real life is. My real life lived with meaning and purpose and you, 
This was such a precious worship time for me this morning. It just had me tearing up because it, it's reviving to be with you. This is where life is real. This is, I mean, and not just here in this place where we congregate, but here in this city, in this community in which we live and thrive, and we make an impact on the world. Vacation isn't like that. So after a five-hour flight and three-hour drive, we entered our house at 11 p.m., and we were asleep by midnight, and I woke up at 5, and I was in the office by 5.30, and I began to read the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. And reading this towering vista of the gospel moved me to tears. Maybe it was two weeks of reality deprivation that primed me to see what I wasn't prepared to see all at once. The gospel is a glorious fairy tale. A beautiful dream come true. C.S. Lewis said, someday you will be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. I'm old enough. The power of fairy tales is that good triumphs over evil. There are heroes who fight for the good in a way that attracts us and engages us. Evil is not absent. It lurks in fairy tales and often has the upper hand. It may even disguise itself and its harmful intent with a certain appeal that can tempt the hero. But at the heart of a fairy tale, goodness wins in the end. The hero inspires us, and we desire to emulate this emblem, this model of righteousness and goodness, love, mercy, forgiveness. Fairy tales present good in such a winsome and attractive way that we want to be good, and we want to be heroic. I got most of my fairy tales as a child through watching Disneyland movies. In the sixth grade, there were two people that I remember, their names are etched on my soul, Ann Horton and Dennis Runyon. Dennis Runyon was the bully in my life. Ann Horton was the princess in my life. Every nightmare involved Dennis Runyon. Every happy ending involved Ann Horton. 
These dreams were chapters in my fairy tale story, which had a lot of evil in it. I was afraid sometimes to leave the house. Every morning I had waking nightmares as I prepared for school, walked to school. Everything was about, where is Dennis Runyon? And then to lay my eyes on Ann Horton. Beauty and the bully. These dreams were combined in which I would battle Dennis valiantly, but I would always be wounded. And lying on the battlefield, Anne, the princess, would cradle me and profess her secret love for me. As a child, I can tap into those feelings, those kind of moments when you catch your breath, where there's the, the turn of fortune, where hope replaces the tragic, and there's a happy ending, and that's the trademark of a fairy tale. In his essay on fairy tales, written by J.R.R. Tolkien, which many of you know because he's the author of The Lord of the Rings, he's also the man who led C.S. Lewis to Jesus Christ, talking to him through the night. And when the morning came and the sun rose, C.S. Lewis had committed his life to Jesus Christ. He wrote an essay titled, On Fairy Stories. And he wrote about this sudden turn from catastrophe to joy, calling it eucatastrophe, which uh, draws on the Greek prefix for well or good. In other words, a catastrophe that harbors something very wonderful. Tolkien wrote that Gospels contain a fairy story, a story of a larger kind which embraces all the essence of fairy stories. The birth of Christ is the eucatastrophe of man's history. The resurrection is the eucatastrophe of the story of the incarnation, God becoming man in Jesus Christ. There is no tale ever told that men would rather find was true than the gospel. You catastrophe within a good fairy tale, says Tolkien, can give to chi a child or man that hears it, when that turn comes, a catch of breath, a beat and lifting of the heart. This element of fairy tales is a smaller manifestation of the good news of the gospel upon which Christian hope rests, the hope that all shall be well. C.S. Lewis said, someday you will be old enough to start reading fairy tales. 
It wasn't this year, but it was actually a year ago that I was reading George Eliot's novel Middlemarch. There was a line in there of many that caught my attention and I wrote down. Let the children, excuse me, we begin by knowing little and believing much. And we sometimes end by inverting the quantities. In other words, when you get to be my age, too often we know a lot, but we believe a little. Jesus, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, said, Let the little children come to me, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Jesus told tales of the kingdom. We call them parables. But they are simple stories that illumine our hearts with the imagination of God in Jesus Christ, of the kingdom of God when we enter it and live through him Follow him, serve him, love him. And it awakens within our own lives the very kingdom of God before the kingdom of God dons itself with irresistible force, bringing good once and for all and vanquishing evil. In returning to Ephesians, Paul tells us about the kingdom. But on the other side, on this side of the resurrection, he tells us about a dream come true. He tells us about the gospel, the good news in Jesus Christ. And when we begin reading the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, we're pulled in to the very heart of God before the foundation of the world, before he spun in his creativity the creation of all things, you and me and this incredible world and universe in which we live. And in the secret counsel of his own heart, he had a dream. And that dream involved you and me. And at the center of his creation was Jesus Christ. And that dream is a dream come true in the resurrection exaltation of Jesus and outpouring of his Holy Spirit upon people who have devoted themselves to live and serve and call him Lord. And they become the kingdom of God, the church on earth, 
living out that dream. And you and I bear witness to that in the way we live and the way we rely on Jesus Christ. We are called in the gospel. We are called by Jesus Christ to live God's dream come true. To live God's dream come true. There are three verses that I want us to look at in chapters 1 and 2 and 3. In chapter 1, we see that in God's dream come true, all spiritual blessings are in Jesus Christ. In verse 3 of chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul begins to praise God the Father, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Talk about a fairy tale. Talk about a dream come true. The gospel tells us that every spiritual blessing, not just some, but all, now belong to us in our hero, in Jesus Christ. He is our champion. He is our dragon slayer. He has defeated the enemy. He has defeated death in his resurrection. He has opened the vaults of God's fullest blessings to you and me. And they're all found in him. He is the door. He is the shepherd. He is the vine. He is our peace. He is our all in all. In verses 3 through 14, the blessings just tumble forth. And that he is our hero is made triumphantly clear at the end of the chapter in verse 19 and following. He, Paul's praying now. He just, he breaks forth in praise and prayer. And at this point in his prayer, he says, he's praying that we should be able to fathom this. And you know, I got to be frank, all week I just agonized. Gee, should I even mention the word fairy tale? I don't want you to misunderstand. I don't want anybody to huff out of here because he's likening the gospel to a fairy tale. But I want to awaken our imagination to breathe the gospel of Jesus Christ with the freshness and spirit of a child brought to life by the resurrection, the complete forgiveness of our sins, the inauguration of becoming a child of God, that you and I have an inheritance, we have a destiny, we have a purpose, we have meaning. Our lives count. 
We can make a difference in the lives of other people, starting at home, starting in our neighborhood, starting with the people that we work with, that we go to school with, in every area of our lives, the way we talk about people, the way this, this incredible dream come true invades our heart and changes the way we see other people and see the world around us. That we should have a peace in the midst of all this political foment. That we should have a long-range vision of who we are and who God sees us and wants us to be. And yet we get down, we get buried in this, this stuff that will not survive this world. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but one of the things that I wanted to mention under point two, when we are made alive in Christ, everyone is dead. Everyone is spiritually dead. We only are made alive in Jesus Christ because of the resurrection because of the outpouring of his life, his spirit in the Holy Spirit. Why would God allow us to die and consign us to hell, people say? We're already dead. No one is alive spiritually except those in Jesus Christ invested and filled with the Holy Spirit. And we take these things so lightly. To live God's dream come true, make Jesus the center of your life. That's how you appropriate and claim and put into action the, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. When Christ is preeminent, the Holy Spirit is predominant. So when you talk to other people and you want to tell them about this life-changing work, just start talking about Jesus Christ. When you wrestle with doubts or discouragement, just start thinking about Jesus Christ. When you feel betrayed or wounded and you want to react in anger or some viciousness, turn and set your eyes upon Jesus Christ. For it is in Him that we know this newness of life. It is as disciples, followers, children. The Scripture even calls us co-heirs, that is, brothers and sisters. But it is in Him that we experience and know all these things. We have every blessing in Christ. And that is made clear to us in verses 19 and following when Paul wants us to fathom this and he says what is, that we would know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ 
when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And yes, he made us alive in Christ in chapter 2, verse 5. Chapter 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, there it is. We were dead. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You know, there's the notion when we think of grace that grace is favor. Grace is generosity. Grace is the blessing that we have not earned or merited in any way. But there's another sense that we should not lose sight of when we think of grace. It's unexpected. It's unexpected. We're so taken by surprise at what God has done for us that there's no way that we could even imagine it or prepare for it. It isn't that he didn't prophesy and fulfill his prophecy. It isn't that there isn't a beginning and a history and a story that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But in our own experience, his grace is so overwhelming because we are so unworthy that we couldn't even anticipate that God should be so good to us in Jesus Christ. There's the word there, you are saved, ye, plural. It's what we call the perfect tense. The perfect tense is the once upon a time tense. Once upon a time. But the neat thing about the perfect tense in Greek is that it's a once upon a time with continuing results. Everything's changed as a result of that once upon a time. Our deliverance, our rescue, our healing has all occurred once upon a time, and we experience it as grace in Jesus Christ. Collect memories of this new life. Store them away. Pull them out. You know, to every memory, there's a feeling attached. If you have negative and past feelings that you can't seem to triumph over, pull up that feeling, but now look at it through the lens, look at it through the person, look at it through the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, and that feeling, that negative old feeling will begin to change. That's new life. 
Only he can bring that about because it was only in him with such authority. He's not just another guy. He is God become human, taken the form of a servant, identifying fully with us even unto death. Our cause is his cause. You are the apple of his eye, and we are the apple of his eye as his church, because the third thing I want us to appreciate is in verse 6 of chapter 3. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. A mystery, when we use the word mystery, we think of it as a riddle that maybe is unsolvable. But the way Paul uses it is very clear right here in these verses. In verse 4 and 5, he tells us it's a secret that has been revealed. It was a secret which has been revealed. Look at verse 9. He uses the words, hidden for ages in God, in God's own heart, a dream, a dream. Look at verse 10, speaking of God's manifold wisdom now made known through the church. People are looking for evidence of the mystery of Christ, this dream come true. And Paul says, look at the church. The manifold wisdom of God is rooted in and manifest, made plain, made clear, made accessible Do sometimes you get upset because you don't have the status or the talents or the beauty or the abilities of others? But what Jesus has done for us has made all of us equally gifted with the same status and standing and empowerment and giftings. And that unity and that oneness that comes through Jesus Christ, that is to be on display in his church. But it has to first be born in our hearts. It has to be God's dream that's become our dream. It has to be a fairy tale come true in our lives that we're willing to bank everything on it and live for it. And even as Paul will say in the chapter 4 and chapter 5 and chapter 6, as he gets into all these everyday difficulties, but where we are able to live differently in the face of the world, we put on the armor of God. We become that noble knight. We mount that steed. We raise that chevron. We rush to the front of the march. We don't quiver in fear in the corner. 
We aren't silenced and dumb because we have nothing to say to this world, nothing to say to our friends, nothing to say to that difficult husband or that difficult wife or that difficult neighbor. I have no vision. I have no hope. I have no perspective to give you, to live out for you. I have no good word to say to you. I have no different life to show you. How sad. You are that light. In your marriage, Quit waiting for the other person. You be that light. You be that hope. You be that joy. You be that grace. You be that Jesus. Husbands, you be the better Christian. You be more like Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says. Quit waiting for the other person. Stand up to the bullies with love and grace. The magic of God is his grace and love and forgiveness and mercy. There's nowhere else in this world you'll find it backed and authorized by the resurrection, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and empowered by his Holy Spirit. I am giving you the gospel. It's time to get on it and get with it to put on the armor and march out into our lives. That's what excites me. And there is no mediator or priest but Christ alone. And Christ dies unless he lives in you. Don't wait for anyone else. Start right where you're at. Today. Today here, now, as we take the bread and the cup. How appropriate to come to this table, if not literally and physically, in our hearts, and to hold that bread in our hands and that cup and realize again that the world has been changed by what this bread and this cup represents and who Jesus Christ is. If it isn't He in your life, then do not take this bread and cup because it is in this that we profess our allegiance, our allegiance to Jesus Christ. It is in this that we leave our nets and our boats and we follow Jesus Christ. It is in this that we leave our water jar and run back to the city to tell everybody that Jesus Christ told me everything about myself and who I am. He is the Messiah. It is in this bread and this cup. It's not in me. You hold in this bread and this cup the authority of the ages 
instituted by Jesus Christ himself. Imagine yourself at that table as he turns to you and hands you the bread and the cup with these powerful words. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he'd blessed it, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. suppered the cup also, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Oh 
of you drink it. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, if you will, pass the cups toward the center. Our heroes of the morning are going to pick up the cups for us. Thank you, guys. Sincerely. As we close... I want to remind you that you have the opportunity to give to the deacon's fund. It is an arm of the Lord in which he reaches out to meet the needs of people who come to us seeking tangible help in a difficult time. And it's available to those outside the church and those within our own church family. So if you're able to give, give generously. Now, if you will, stand I don't preach it because I'm perfect. I preach it because it thrills me. Let the gospel thrill your heart today. May God bless you. And it's in his name we say amen. Amen.